0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Now I'd like to invite our guest up here, Pastor Nate Franklin from Cornerstone Church, a dear friend of mine. You've heard him a couple of times, and uh, I need to be cautious because you probably love him more than me, and so I need to make sure... You know, we love him but you know keep your distance okay but uh, uh, we, we love him so much he's such a dear friend to me and um, we were talking this last week and he knows that I you know my classes in seminary I've got finals and things coming up he said, "How can I help you?" And I said, "Well, I'd love for you to come speak to us and so he said yes and so we, we love him appreciate him um, would you give him a round of applause as he comes up this morning) Man, how are y'all doing today? All right, let's say that one more time. I mean, we are here at church. How are you doing? you doing well, you're doing better, you're not? Because I don't like just, I, I grew up in this thing, uh, not here at Hosanna, but I feel like I might be home uh, if I stay here long enough. Um, but uh, I have grew up in this thing long enough to know like we can say words like, I'm good, I'm great. How are y'all doing today? Y'all doing good? Y'all doing, man, I want to work. I'm struggling, but I'm here. How y'all doing today? Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, the other thing I got to say, oh, he walked. Oh no. He just walked in. Jay, I'll say this much. If I get to the point and God blesses me with three kids down the road and I look as good as you do or half as good as you do, the favor of the Lord would be upon me. So just keep doing what you're doing. You were on time. You were early to church. All your kids were happy. Your wife was smiling when y'all came in. Man, the favor of the Lord is on your house. Uh, man, so uh, I, I'm gonna tell you a story. Uh, I, I like to start um, by confessing some things. Can I confess some things? I've been here long enough. I'm gonna confess some things. So I was uh, I was driving down a highway the other day, um, one of the freeways in uh, in Fresno. I was driving down the freeway. It was the middle of the night. Not not late late night, but it was nighttime. Nobody else was really on the road. It was mind of my own business. You are driving down a highway, right? You got three lanes. You got the you got the slow lane, you've got the I'm obeying the traffic laws lane, and then you've got the I do whatever I want lane, right? I was in the I obey the traffic laws lane. It's rare for me to be there, but I was there, okay? So I was there, I was minding my own business, it was a long day. Uh, I was just kind of cruising on my way home, and nobody was on the road. I mean, nobody was on the road. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, these two headlights came right up behind me. And you want to know what the first thing I thought was? I'm getting pulled over. No, y'all don't ever think that when two headlights come out of nowhere. So what did I do? I was driving down the street. I put my foot on the brake and I looked at the speedometer. But, but honestly, I was driving the speed limit, so I'm good. Um, and the car got there and after about 10, 15 seconds, which feels like an eternity, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why is this guy not going around me? Or this girl or whatever, using guy as just a general language so nobody can get upset with me. I don't know who it was, but this person that was behind me had been traveling, driving behind me, but kept getting closer. Why won't you just get over to the left lane? Or why won't you just get over to the right lane? But he wanted my lane, so I just thought, well, what's the only courteous thing to do at this point? Drive a little faster. No, I wasn't going to get over because I was in the lane that I wanted to be in. So I said, okay, I've got a little bit of room before I break the law um, that I can just kind of speed up a little bit. So I'm going to give this guy some room. Maybe he doesn't realize how close he is. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. As I stepped on the gas pedal to just go a little faster, and a little faster, like three to four miles an hour. I was not speeding at this point. I've had too many tickets. I don't need another one. So I, was, I put my foot on the gas pedal to just speed up and create some distance between the two. What do you think the guy did behind me? He sped up. I was trying to be courteous, guys. I was trying to do what Jesus would have done. I was trying to give him some room to have his own lane. We could share this lane. I learned that when I was a kid. But I sped up, he sped up. At about this time, the frustration level in my car rises a little bit. Like I started, I was peaceful, I was calm, I was collected. Now about this moment, I'm not heated, I'm not boiling. But I'm agitated. Like, I made room for you to get over. So get over. So then, at this point, I started to have a conversation with God. Maybe it wasn't God. It was a conversation with myself. What should I do at this point? So the only logical response at this point is to... Yeah, it's to do a couple of those things all at the same time. But it's not to change lanes. Changing lanes was never one of my options. I just want to let you know that. So he's behind me. I sped up. He sped up. I decided let's slow down. But not just like let's slow down. I decided maybe he doesn't see my car. It's nighttime. Maybe he doesn't know that I'm right in front of him with his headlights blaring through my rearview mirror. So what did I decide to do? But ensure that my brake lights were working. That's all I was trying to do, was just to make sure that my brake lights were working. So by doing that, I don't mean I slammed on my brakes. I just kinda, subtly, slowly put my foot on my brake to ensure that all the red lights behind me were working in case he didn't know, and so I did that. And what happened? Nothing, absolutely nothing. I actually think he got closer. So by this time, I'm floored. Like, I am frustrated, I am, yes, Pastor Nate is confessing he was over the top in his car. He had a great day, but at the end of the evening, this guy won't get in his own lane. So I decided the only thing that I could do was to now fully use my brakes. So I grabbed on. Okay, y'all laughed at me and somebody said no, but I just don't feel like I'm the only one in this room that has ever used their brakes to create some distance between some people. I ensure I understand uh, that it, it was not a safe thing to do, that it could have harmed a lot of people, but so could he have by tailgating me so close. Yep. No? Okay, y'all are like, man, this pastor is angry. <laughs> so I so I did, and I grabbed my steering wheel with two hands at this point, and I kind of had a conversation with my car. This might hurt. I don't know how it's going to end but it's all for a good reason, all right? And so I, I braced myself, ensured my seatbelt was on, and slammed on my brakes. Not completely, but I slammed on them enough that the nose of my car drove downwards on the highway, and I look in my rearview mirror, and what happens to his car? Ah, gets over into the left lane, and I go, praise God. He's in his own lane now, look what God had gifted him. A little bit of a trial, a little bit of a struggle. He had some things that he didn't foresee, but he's now in his own left lane. My emotions have now changed. I'm good. The guy like gets up close to me, next to me, because I made him swerve to the left lane, and I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure, uh, he's got tinted windows, I got tinted windows. I think he waved at me, but that's about, that's about all I remember about the person then I realized my, la- my gaslight comes on. My gaslight comes on, and I'm like, I got to go get gas. My car's not one of those cars that like you can go 600 miles with the gaslight on. I know some of you women try that. Every time I have a conversation with Madison, she tries that. She's like, my gaslight came on. I'm just, I've been driving for three weeks with my gaslight on. So my gaslight means I have to get gas. The freeway exit is right there. I'm in the middle of the lane. I was not obeying the traffic laws. I cut past two lanes to get off of the exit. I got to go get gas. As I'm down the exit ramp, guess who's following me? Imagine what happened to my emotions at that point. (laughs) I was floored that Jesus had created a way where there seemed to be no way, and now the enemy is pursuing me. Like, oh no, he's following me. And let me remind you, I have no gas. So it's not like I can just get away. It's not like I can just outdrive this guy. So now not only was I just flustered earlier, now I'm worried. Now I'm thinking every scenario, is this guy going to pull up? Oh no, who, do, who is this guy? What's his background story? What's he going to do to me? So I pull up to the light. He pulls up to the light and he pulls up really closely behind me. And then I take a ride at the light and I get to the next light. The gas station is right in the distance, but I'm sitting at a red light. This is the longest red light of my life. I sat there worried, I sat there, my palms were sweating, my forehead was sweating, I was like, is this guy gonna get out, am I gonna be on YouTube where this guy gets out and confronts me and breaks my window, I'm not sure. But I'm I'm worried, and I'm agitated, and I'm flustered. And I go, but if I just get to the gas station. And then I started to think, what happens if he follows me? What happens if he gets into the gas station, pulls into the gas station parking lot? Am I gonna fight? No way, because church people could be there. Don't act like y'all never thought you only didn't do something because you weren't sure if church people were going to be there. No, I can't do that. But I was like, but what happens if he does? I'm worried, I'm agitated, I'm flustered beyond what you could imagine. The light turns green. I drive forward and I go to turn in and I swear, if this guy would have put behind me, would have followed behind me, I just said, I'm going to pray that God would provide more and more gas and I'm just going to keep on driving because there's no way I'm stopping. I don't know who this guy is. I was confessing, god, I'm sorry. Shouldn't a brake check. Yeah, who even puts those on cars? What are they good for? Like, it's blaming everybody but myself. So I pull into the gas station and the guy keeps on going. And just drives on down the street. And I pull into the gas station and I'm I'm not one of those people that can get really like flustered and then in a moment like snap out of it. I'm heated. I'm at a gas station. In a random part of fresno in the middle of the night pumping gas almost shaking because of my emotions and after a couple minutes i'm sitting there thinking about what had just gone on what had just happened and i said man what are you what are you doing nate what are you doing I had no idea who that guy was or that, that woman was. I had no idea who was driving that car. I'll never meet that person in my life. But yet in this moment when I'm sitting at a gas station, I'm overwhelmed with emotions because I wanted to react to somebody else's actions. And I sat there and I said, man, Nate, when are you going to grow up? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. And by what I mean is, I don't know if you've ever gotten on a highway and brake checked somebody in the middle of the night and saw them swerving, but I think that it would be safe to say we've all had those moments where we've looked back at how we reacted to somebody else that we knew or, ever, or didn't know, and it changed the trajectory of our day or our week or our year where we allowed the choices that they made to affect our inner peace to affect our stability, to affect our joy, to affect our happiness, all because we wanted to react to their actions. And I look at that and I'm like, man, I just got to grow up. Well, that's not um, uncommon. It's something that we all deal with, I think, and I think it's the reason why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, um, writes out or really speaks out these words in Matthew chapter five forty-eight, the last uh, the last verse or one of the last verses of, is it forty-eight? Yeah, I think it's forty-eight. Matthew chapter five forty-eight. It should be, yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter five forty-eight. And I'm going to read it to you in. Oh, you've only got that. Do you have the Message version? Do you have the message version up there before I give them that one? Because it says it just clear, clear and plainly for us. This message uh, is a paraphrase. And it said it in such a way for me. If not, I'll pull out my phone and I'll read it. I'll give you all a couple seconds. Sam's the man. Where's my phone? Oh, my phone's in the, my backpack. We'll wait for it. But having those moments where we where we've looked back on our life to say, I, I don't know why I did that. And that, that, those moments are not just in a 24-hour span. Those moments may be you've now rethought something you did a week ago or months ago. Or honestly, I'm still looking at things in my life that I'm like, how immature was I years ago when I did this? And because somebody did this, I chose to do this. No, you don't have it, Sam? All right. Hey, let me see if you, oh, Josh has got it. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. I just like the way that this says, and then we'll get back into the, the actual translation of the word. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 48. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Can you just turn to your neighbor and tell them grow up? Okay, now say it like you mean it, because some of y'all have been waiting to say this to your spouse or to your children for some time. Say, grow up. That doesn't feel so good, right? It doesn't feel so good for somebody to lean over to us and be like, just grow up a little bit. But what it points to is that there is room for growth. That there's room, there's opportunity available for every one of us to take a more mature stance in the situations that we're going to. And Jesus says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. And I love that uh, that paraphrase because it just says, it says just that, that we're not just, God's not just asking you. God didn't just save you, didn't just call you, find you where you are and just want to tell you, grow up, start acting your age. No, God's not saying that. But what God is saying is that there is a purpose on your life as a kingdom subject. And God says there's so much in living that out, but you're going to have to grow up. And I think we can all think about circumstances in our life, maybe circumstances that you're in right now, where those two words are actually real powerful. Grow up. Grow up? Well, where would this even come from? Like, why is Jesus telling this crowd of people to grow up? Or what is this sitting on the back of? Well, it's sitting on the back of verse 38. So Matthew chapter 5, 38, I think you guys have that. So throw that one up there. 38 says this, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Stay there. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Doesn't that not feel like what the world that we live in right now? Like, I mean, this this passage of scripture is thousands of years old, and yet culture has not changed much. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay, maybe we don't use that that language every day, but it's, I'm gonna take what you take from me. In the way that you hurt me, I'm gonna ensure that you're hurt. In the way that you've done something uh, to take from me or to hurt me or to harm me, I'm gonna make sure all of that is done your way. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that your pain is as equal as my pain. Does that not sound like culture? Have you, have you ever been around I know, Jay, you probably dealt with this because you got three kids, and I don't even know if they're boys, girls, or what their ages are, but you probably dealt with this. Seeing one of your children hit the other children or push the other children or yell at the other children, and you jump into the conversation with the child like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And their response is, he did it first, but she, you should have seen what she did to me. When I, read our, when I read what's going on in the news or when I see what's going on honestly in your lives on Facebook or on Instagram and everybody's starting to talk about the pains and hurts, the, where we live as a culture is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to harm you because you've harmed me. I'm going to do this to you because you've done that to me. Where do we go from here if that's all the way that we've chosen to live? How can we progress as a community if it's all about, I'm going to hurt you because you've hurt me? I'm going to respond to you how you respond. The, The way that I would say it, our culture lives this way, that our response, my response, is Josh's responsibility. That's the way that our culture responds. Let me explain that for a second. If Josh is to hurt me, if Josh was to say something in a painful way to me, what I did in response to him is his responsibility. That's how we live. That is the world in which we live in. If you've harmed me, whatever comes off of me is your fault. But how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense, it makes feelings. Because it's reactionary to the way that we feel and the way that we explode. Just like the car that I was telling you about, a guy got in my space, invaded my space, my safe zone, my peace, my joy while I was driving. And because he did something I did not like, I decided to react in a way that could ultimately affect his life in a way that was exponentially different than what it could have affected mine. Because he did something to me first. Man, that's... And that's why we have so much hurt going on. That's why we have these war of words going on. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not just outside of the church. It's happening within churches. That we've got a war with words. Well, she did this, or he did that, or Pastor so-and-so did this, or so Pastor so-and-so did that. Where are we going to go from here if we're constantly living an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? So Jesus makes this statement. You have heard it said. That's how culture had lived, and that's how culture continues to choose to live. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And if I fast forward 10 verses, Jesus says, but it's time to grow up. What he's saying here is the way that we choose to perceive how our actions or our response to other people's actions needs to change it doesn't need to be in line with how the world decides to respond or how the world decides to define their actions or to, uh, to justify the way that they've chosen to live. We are his children. We are kingdom subjects. We have a purpose, a life to live for, but yet we are responding in such a reactionary way that looks no different than the world around us. So Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let's go to the next verse, 39. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one, or the one who is evil. I, I'm going to pause right there. That that phrase right there, the one who is evil, um, it's not the devil. He's not talking about the devil here. He's not talking about Satan and uh, the spiritual forces of evil that are coming against you. He's not talking about you. If you we to translate that. I'm going back into its original language and then bring it into common day language, our language now. That would say, do not resist or avoid the annoying person in your life. Do not avoid the one who is troublesome to love. It says, don't resist the evil one. Don't resist the one that's causing you frustration. Don't resist the one that is causing you trouble, is hard to love. Don't, don't do that. Because they've done you wrong Don't just respond in a hard way to love But he says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek Turn to him the other also Keep going And if anyone would sue you And take your tunic Let him have your cloak as well Keep going And if anyone forces you to go one mile Go with him too Go one more, I think And give to the one who begs from you And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You catch what Jesus is saying here? And we live in a culture that their response is your responsibility. That the way that they've chosen to live, or the way that they they choose to react to you is on your shoulders of how you live, of how you don't live, of what you say, of what you don't say. Jesus says, don't live like that. Don't be those people. He said, be above that. When people harm you, He's acknowledging in this passage, I need to start here. he's acknowledging in this passage that people do hurtful things. and nowhere in this passage is he explaining away or justifying away the actions of hurt that have been that other people have caused in your life, the pain that others have caused in your life. by no means in any of this Sermon on the Mount has he justified it away has he excused it away? He hasn't. but what he has said here is yes, their action is available their action is here that you are responsible for your response. That you're responsible how you choose to live, how you choose to respond, how you choose to, let's use that term, react to the way that people have chosen to act. Jesus here says, don't be reactionary. Be different. And in a turn, he he doesn't just "Just, just say hi to them. He actually is writing out this definition of what love looks like. So if somebody harms you, Get close enough to them again that they could harm you. But that doesn't make sense, Nate. That's not safe. And we've learned a whole lot of things. No, it's not culturally sound is what it's not. Because I'll tell you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth leaves everybody blind. So that's not safe either. We're not talking about what's safe. We're talking about what creates relational unity, what draws people together. And the only way that we can draw together is if somebody is willing to grow up. And say I'm going to pursue this I'm going to go one step closer this is, Somebody slaps you Somebody wants, if they want to sue you And take your inner garments Give them your outer garments Give them whatever they want So that you can try to create amends uh, Let's just be honest That's difficult That's difficult, so difficult That I think the church has adopted The not so golden rule you know what the not so golden rule is? Do to others what they have done to you. That we too have adapted that kind of terminology and the way that we've chosen to live. That I'm going to respond to you the way that you choose to respond to me. Or the way that you've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. But we do it a little different because we read scripture and we hear Jesus' words and we've seen them and read plenty of times that we kind of live it or mask it a little differently. And so in these three examples that Jesus gives, we, we react To justify it, just like that, if somebody slaps you in the face and you're a Christian, you use this factor of intimidation with them. Have you ever seen people have that kind of conversation? Yeah, I wish they would come at me and try to take my kids back from from me, try try to take my kids away from me. There's a holy God in heaven who sees that I'm their favorite daughter, and I just wish that that they would interact with a holy God, because God's going to get them. Have you ever heard Christians say that? God's going to get them. That's, this, that's, this, that's this, this worldview of intimidations that we think because of our relationship with God, we can intimidate those around us that have harmed us. But Jesus never gave us the ground to say that. Jesus never gave us the platform to talk about a holy God who gave his son for us to have a connection with us and use that as an intimidation with people that don't know any better and they continue to hurt us. Or maybe it's not that, but then the other one is if you... If you uh, If, somebody wants, your, if you, somebody wants your inner Jacket you should give them your tunic as well Have you ever seen a kid play with a Toy And then you as a mom another kid plays With the toy and so you're like I'm going to teach them a great principle of sharing Right And you tell your kid hey just share Play with the, play with the toy right Jay play, play. And I guarantee you, you're, One of your kids have probably done this anymore I don't even want to play with that anymore I'm going to go get the Tonka truck because there's a Tonka truck over there. And you're over here trying to teach them a principle of sharing. You're trying to teach them a principle of relational unity, and yet because there's strife or because you can't have it all, you walk away from it and say, well, there's another blessing on this side. I've seen that too many times within churches, and it's not just pastors, where we'll jump in, and we'll jump in to serve a community, and people will jump all on board, but when it's not your thing anymore, you start to walk away, well, God's gonna bless me over here, and he's gonna let me do This And I'm going to pray that God opens a door. What ends up happening when we allow our conflicts to decide the way that we choose to live, we draw ourselves away from each other. And where God wants to teach us principles of unity and principles of sharing and principles of serving together, that it's not about Hosanna and it's not about Cornerstone, but it's about God's kingdom coming on earth so that people that are broken would see that there's a Savior that came down to give everything for them. But yet we find ourselves still living the same way the world that we live. Just because we come to church at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that we actually are living any different than the world around us because we're still living reactionary. And then then he says, if you start where it says, says, don't resist the evil one. I think our biggest problem, my biggest problem as well, is when it comes to hurt and pain in my life, I have found that the response of most people is to have no response and is to create separation. Avoidance is the biggest tool the enemy is using right now to divide all of our relationships. Let me explain it. So again, going back to Josh, Josh and I are in relational discord and we have a disagreement and I get heated or I get mad I get frustrated And I choose to respond to him to say We can't be friends anymore What am I going to do? Am I going to show up to Hosanna anymore? No Am I, am I going to show up to the, his favorite Starbucks? No I'm not And am I going to show up to the, the golf course That I know that he likes to go to? No I'm not, why? Because he's there or he could be there. And this is one relationship. What if Jay and I got in an argument? And I go to Jay, or Jay and I are friends, and I go to Jay, and I start to talk about how Pastor Josh did me wrong. And Jay does the right godly thing and say, well, I think you and Pastor Josh should go have another conversation again because God wants you to have unity. Well, we'll, as good as that sounds, I'm gonna tell you what our natural response is. Jay and Pastor Josh have already had a conversation there in Cahoots together. I don't like Jay anymore. We laugh, but that's how we do it. Well, they've probably already gotten together and Josh probably told them all the bad things that I've done, which I've probably never done anything to Josh because Josh doesn't feel there's discord, but I feel that there's frustrations because he stepped on something that I wasn't able to communicate to him about. And so I'm now not just letting that tear down one relationship, I'm allowing that to tear down another relationship. And then let's say this, now Jay's got another Starbucks that he goes to or another breakfast spot. And then Jay goes to the gym and then Jay goes to another. What happens in my life? If I start avoiding Josh and start avoiding Jay, I don't have anywhere to go. And we're living in a time right now within culture and really within our Christian community where there's so much, there's so much depression and loneliness, the spirit of depression and loneliness that is going on across our communities. And the, res- the reason why is because we fail, to, we fail to connect with those that we're in conflict with. And so we choose to avoid, and avoidance has caused us to be the prisoners of isolation because I don't wanna go right or wrong or because I don't wanna communicate how he's hurt me and he probably never meant to and he probably didn't even think it that way because that's uncomfortable for me. I have now avoided one person and avoided another and avoided this church and avoided that church and we're sitting in our prayer closets at home. God, can't you just send one person that would actually care for me so that I know that you're real? And God's like, I've sent you hundreds of people in your life, but every time you have a conflict with them, you avoid and turn away, avoid and turn away And so you're sitting in a cave of isolation because you're of of your avoidance. And Jesus says, don't choose to live an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Don't respond. Don't be reactionary people because it gets us nowhere. So then how should we then live? Let's go to 43. You have heard it said this, that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Keep going. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Keep going. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Keep going. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. Is that the last one? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is Jesus telling us here? Well, he's actually pointing out some things to us. In this scripture, and there's two points that I want to make to this, uh, just just theologically or how we would view God, how we operate with God. There's one point that I want to make. God's response to you was not determined or dictated by your response to Him. God doesn't live in this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality or paradigm that we live in. And I thank God for that. Because if God were to respond to me or respond to you in the way that I have responded to Him, or the way that you have responded to him, then he would respond to you selfishly. He would respond to you frustrated. He would respond to you with anger. He would respond to you with doubt. He would respond to you with fear. He would respond to you with a lot of with a lot of words that you wish that you could take back in those dark hours, and those times of frustration, where your community. But God, our holy God, our Father in heaven, does not respond to us in the way that we've chosen to respond to Him. And I thank Him for that. Romans five eight. If you've got it up there, it would be great. Romans five eight. tells us how God responds to us, how God chose to, to interact with a broken people. You and I are broken, and it says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means when you and I chose to ignore God, chose to think that he's not real, chose to act like you know better than he does, chose to have a lot of questions, chose to have a lot of doubts, to do your own thing instead of doing his thing, it says while you were still in that mess, it says that God loved us, that he sent his son for us. I means God sent a remedy Uh, A mode of reconciliation, a a vehicle in which unity could happen while somebody was still hurting him, while somebody, while you and I were still doing our own thing. God sent a a vehicle through Jesus of unity, of redemption, of restoration, and a, a tool that we could have a healthy relationship together because he loved us. And I thank God that God did not move towards me because in the same way that I moved towards him. And I'm not the only broken one in here. I would not have a relationship with this holy God if he chose to respond to me in the ways that I have countlessly responded to him. But he has chosen to respond to us with love. And so knowing that, the second thing must be true, that your response to others should only be determined by God's response to you. Think that through for a second. Your response to others when they've hurt you when, they have, uh, when they've wronged you, when they've done something that, that is not right. Again, I'm not justifying the actions of broken people. There are broken people who say hurtful things and do hurtful things that cause scars in our lives, but our response should not be determined by their response or their action to us, but our response should be determined by a holy God's response to us, that he loved us, that he created a vehicle for unity, that he sent a tool down so that we could draw together, so that we could be reconciled? What relationship are you in right now that God is asking you to grow up? That God is asking you to take a step back or to stand up a little bit? Where can I, even though the pain is real, even though the hurt is real, even though it's been months or years or decades where you haven't spoken to this person, where God is saying, I need you to grow up and love somebody. I need you to take a step forward where no one else wants to take a step forward. I need you to take blame where no one else wants to take blame. Because if I can create some relational unity then maybe, just maybe the world around you would know that there's a good God in heaven who doesn't just love a segment of people but loves all broken people regardless of their strife, regardless of their conflict and more people would know Jesus. But yet we found ourselves in moments of our life that we are that we are still reactionary people. And when I read this passage of scripture, Matthew chapter five. And then I see Matthew chapter seven, the actual golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. That you are seeing, you are looking in the future and saying, I know I'm not going to respond the way that you chose to respond to me, but I'm gonna respond in the way that I wish you would have responded to me. That means that I am not being a reactionary person. God has not called you to be a reactionary person, but God has called you to be a reflection of his person. God has not called you to be reactionary in every circumstance, in every argument, in every frustration, in every job. God has not asked you to be reactionary because you are justified, because you feel that way, or because you're right. God has asked you to be a reflection of his person, of his glory, of who Jesus is. A a carrier of the Holy Spirit to a broken world, so that then they would know what a holy world looks like. Because if we continue, you and I continue, to live reactionary lives, then this world will never change. Because we are the ones that carry the tool, being the Holy Spirit, the presence of a holy God, the kingdom of heaven down to earth. That give us a glimpse, give the broken world a glimpse of what world could look like. But if you and I stay reactionary, they'll never get there. And Matthew 7 says, do unto others as you would have them do unto Act, live in such a way that you see the kingdom of heaven coming and say, I want to show you this. So that we don't have to live in this. But it's not an easy thing. He's saying, give somebody that slaps you on your cheek, give them another one. He's saying, if they want your inner coat, give them your outer coat. He's saying, if they want you to walk one mile, walk two and get to know them. Why would Jesus ask? Because the higher goal is not the restitution is not the repayment of what has been taken from you, but it's the reconciliation that our goal in every relationship should be restore the unity and not to live in division of who's right and who's wrong or who's wronged each other more. Jesus says, "Look, if we live this way, the world around us will know around you will know that there's a real God in heaven that doesn't just love you but loves them." And that we can actually make this thing work because of what he's done for us. And as I look at this, he's not asking you to take, take an extra step. He's actually asking you to take twice as many steps as the person has done to you. If somebody slaps you, give them another. That's two cheeks to one. If Someone wants your inner coat, your outer jo- jacket is worth double, if not triple, t- than what your inner jacket is because it was your covering for everything in life. He says... Give them two more, give them double of what what they've taken from you. And he says, if somebody's forced you, enslaved you, imprisoned you, forced you to walk one mile, take a second mile with them to show that they're not in control of your life. What would happen if we at the church decided, we here just at Hosanna, just us that are in the room decided to not live reactionary to everybody's situations, but to decide, I'm going to love you double that when you've harmed me, the same weight that you've harmed me, the same words that you've used, I'm gonna find out how to love you twice as much as that pain has caused. I'm gonna find out how to, to serve you twice as much. And then when you do it again, I'm gonna serve you again. How long do we do this for? Well, Peter asked that same question. Jesus, well, how long must we forgive people? Is it 7 times 7? No, 70 times 7, which meant an uncountable number. Don't just just keep a tally mark until you get to 500 forgiveness marks, but live this mode of mercy. Pope Francis said this, and I love it, this quote that he said that Jesus is the face of the Father's mercy. The Father showed his mercy in giving his son sacrifice. True love is laying your life down, laying your hurts down, laying your pains down and saying, I want to create unity. But I'm going to tell you, it's super difficult to do it. You're not going to walk in and white knuckle it. You're not going to wake up in the morning and be like, how do I do this? So then what's what's the key? It's humility in the Holy Spirit. It's every day acknowledging, you know what, they've hurt me. And I want to respond this way, but God, you've asked me not to. And so the only way that I can't walk down this lane is if your Holy Spirit guides me. It's it's having relational unity, because here's the thing. You cannot live out point number two until you live in point number one. That God constantly moves towards you, that you are broken and don't deserve it that you are constantly selfish, that you constantly wrong God, but God yet loved you and loves you every day and moves towards you. And that is the reason in the heartbeat, the way that you're able to live out number two. We can only live out number two if we live in who God is. So today I want to pray for you. I want to pray this. I want to pray that God would God would give you peace that others have taken from you. Even if it was your choice to react or your choice to carry, peace is not a small thing. I look look down social media feeds constantly throughout the week and I see how much turmoil people are living in. And they're trying to mask it in this or mask it in that. Or men that are masking it in work. Or women that are masking it in family, or whatever. Everybody tries to mask the turmoil within their life. God said that He wanted to give us a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace doesn't come by your works or by your actions, but that peace comes from God. So I just want to pray that today over you first, that God's peace, the peace of heaven, would sit on your hearts. That Philippians says that it would guard our. I think I spoke about it last time. That it would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He would guard it. But then I'm going to ask this. that That God would forgive us. Here's why I say that. Because we need forgiveness for taking our circumstances into our own hands. Every time we react rather than reflect, we're taking our life into our own hands. Whether that be with our husband and our wife, or whether that be with our kids, or whether it be with our coworkers, we are taking our circumstances into our own hands, which means, just like Josh said, we need to put Jesus back to the center of it all. So you need to ask for forgiveness. Then we need to ask for courage. Courage to live out this new life. This new mantra, this new way of living that it's, it's our response is determined by his response. We need the courage because it takes, it takes strength. The New Testament church prayed for boldness all the time, and it wasn't just boldness to stand up on the mountain, but it was boldness to live counterculturally, to not be affected by how others were treating them, but to live to preach the gospel with everything that they did by word or by deed that people would know Jesus. So I'm going to pray for boldness. And lastly, I'm going to ask you to pray this. I'm going to ask you to pray blessing. As Jesus says in this passage, he says that I want you to pray, I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to bless those who persecute you. I think it's a big step to start if we just started genuinely praying for people that have wronged us. And again, not that church prayer that I grew up hearing God, I pray that you would get my enemies. God, I pray that you would bless my enemies. I pray that whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're reacting to, whatever pain I don't see within their life, that you would be that answer. That you would solve that void that's in their heart. That they would come to know you. I'm not praying for restitution immediately. I'm asking that they would know you, God. That they would find hope in Jesus. That they would find the new life of purpose that God already predestined them to have. But that takes us that have been harmed the courage to pray a prayer of blessing. Can we pray that together? I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to pray this over us, these four avenues of prayer, and then I'm going to hand it to Josh to see Pastor Josh, to see how he wants to close. Does that work? But can you pray with me? I'm going to pray over you. I have no problem praying. Can you pray over your situation? If it's you as an individual that needs to pray this prayer with me or if it's you as a couple that have people in your life that have harmed you that have done something that you need to pray together to say god help us help us to live out our li- live our lives in such a way that would echo or reflect who you are to a broken world can we pray that let's pray god we thank you god and i thank you for your words to us god that we need to grow up God, it is tough to hear, it's tough to swallow at times, but it is a right word for us, God. And so in that, God, we ask, God, that your peace would come over the hearts of everyone here. God, that there's real harm, that there's real hurt, that there's things that have caused scars in the lives of people. But you said that if we asked for your peace, that your peace would come in, God. It would it would, it would move through our understanding. It would, it, would, it would overwhelm our minds, but we would know that your peace is there. That your peace would guide us. Step in and step out, God. Lord, I ask that the peace of heaven would be on the hearts of these. God, that you would guard their minds in who you are and who your son is. God, that you would guard our hearts from emotional waves of reactions. God, that we Live in, or we find ourselves living in, God, that we would be people that reflect who you are. But I ask your peace, God. God, I ask right now for forgiveness, that you would forgive us for taking the seat the driver's seat, God, where we want to take our life into our own hands, react to everybody who is who is engaged with us in the wrong way, God. I pray that you would forgive us, God. Forgive us for taking your role, God. You are God. You are God in heaven, God. You've got everything under control, God. You can create unity. You can create restitution, God. And you, God, can create vengeance, God. So what I mean by that is that, God, we don't need to react. We don't need to fight for ourselves. But, God, you are God in heaven who loves us. And so, God, we ask that you would forgive us and that you would take that seat God and then we ask this we ask for courage as these hard conversations of just saying hi of refusing to avoid people that have hurt us yeah we may not be best friends We may not step into seeing each other all the time, but God, I pray that you would release us from the prison of isolation, God, by by having the courage to stop avoiding people, to genuinely say hi to people, to genuinely care for people, God, and not to wish evil on them, God, that we wouldn't avoid the evil people or the troublesome, the hard to love people within our life, whether it be our family, whether it be our spouse, God, whether it be, uh, God, our kids, whether it be our coworkers, our bosses, God, that we would live in isolation because and then lastly we ask this that you would bless those that have harmed us God we ask that you would bless them in ways that you haven't even blessed us God that your kingdom would reign in their life, that their kids would have favor, that they would give promotions, God, that they would see that you are a good and faithful God, that, that you would bless them with hope in your son, that you would bless them with joy unspeakable, that tomorrow when we run into it at work, they're not gonna be frustrated and angry and reactionary, but they're gonna say, I woke up with a good attitude and we are gonna know that you, the spirit of God is on their lives right now. God, we pray for a blessing over families, over households, God, over relationships, God. And I ask, uh, before I hand it back to Pastor Josh, God, I just ask, God, that relational unity would be our goal. As I read through Scripture, God, we see that our, your ultimate goal was relational unity with broken man and holy God, but also relational unity between broken men and broken men. God, that you would unite us together to reflect your goodness, to reflect your name, to reflect your glory, God. God, it's hard work. It takes your Holy Spirit. So empower us with your Holy Spirit today, God, that we would walk this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.